Well, one week from today, you are going to wake up with more anticipation than you normally do. And if you still have kids at home, you, they are going to wake up with like a metric ton of anticipation a week from today, right? There's going to be gifts under the tree, big and small, and, and really the, the size of the present really doesn't necessarily equate to the, to the amount of excitement that we feel on Christmas morning. And so as, as Christians, this, this excitement has actually, it's been, it originates 2,000 years ago in the birth of the promised Messiah. And his arrival as a baby, well, it certainly was unexpected. And so through this, throughout this, this Advent season, we have been exploring unexpected places where the, the whisper of Jesus' coming is heard. And so Advent, as you probably know, many of you know, is a, is a season of, of pre- preparation, right? where, where we anticipate and we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And typically, we do that by reading like Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, or, or maybe we'll talk about the prophecies in the, in the book of Isaiah. But this year... Where we recognize the fact that the story of Jesus doesn't actually begin in the New Testament, and it doesn't end with a baby in a manger. Actually, the, the entire Bible anticipates and it tells of the great Messiah King, who has come to, to bring hope to a dark and dying world. The story of Christmas is actually it's, it's whispered throughout Scripture. And so we've been exploring some of those unexpected places in God's Word where the gospel is evident. And so today we are going to be looking at the, the glorious appearing of the grace of God. So he, he appeared in, in flesh to, to Mary and Joseph, then to the shepherds and, and he, who went to see him, the, the, the wise men who traveled to bring him gifts. He also appeared to the disciples, to the religious establishment, to the crowds who are searching, people who are hurting, and then to, to many more after his resurrection. And he continues to appear today through his word to us, to people who are lost and people who are jaded, disinterested, searching, aching for fulfillment, for purpose and joy. And so today, as Pastor Tom said in the video, we're going to land in Titus chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you need a Bible today, there's some on the, on the card in the back. And if you grab the Bible from the back, it's on page 816. Titus chapter 2. So as you're finding that, let, let me just give you some quick context. So, so po- the Apostle Paul is writing from this small island in the Mediterranean Sea called Crete. And so Paul is writing this letter to a, to a trusted friend, to a, to a leader in the early church. And I'm telling you, what, what Paul writes in this, that we're going to look at today, it's really, it is the basis for why I am standing before you today. It is the basis for why all of us, any of us, have hope for eternity and joy for each day. That's a pretty good setup. So let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. And we're, we're just going to stay in these verses today. So if you've got your Bibles open, you can just leave it open on your, on your lap. And if you want to write in your Bible or anything, take notes, um, you can do that. So verses 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness 
and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Like this, what, what Paul is writing to Titus, like this is what people have been waiting to hear. Look again at verse 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. I mean, think about this. Like from the moment of the fall in the Garden of Eden, when God first promised to send a son of Eve to crush the head of the serpent, the world has been waiting in darkness for that promise to be fulfilled. And so, so when Adam and Eve, they, they committed that first act of high treason against God, they, they brought a curse upon themselves and all of creation. I mean, we talked about this back in week one of the series. Because, like, we, we see the, the result of sin almost immediately after Adam and Eve are, are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, right? Cain kills Abel. And we hear story after story of just how, how sin is beginning to spread so much across the known world. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, like the, the world has become so evil that, that God sent his son and all but one family are killed. And listen, they, they aren't saved because they were without sin, but because God was faithful to his promise. And so by grace, God saved Noah and his family. But that, that mark of sin on humanity, it continued through Moses to the judges to the kings. I mean, think about this. Even King David. I mean, he, King David is described as a man after God's own heart. And even David failed to remain faithful to God. And so by the time the Bible arrives to the story of, of Mary and Joseph, the world is under this oppressive rule of the Roman Empire. And the whole world is lost and dead in their sin. And, and I don't know about you, but, but if I was asked to write this story, you know, kind of coming up with how this is all going to play out in the end, it just, it just seems appropriate, right? That, that if God is going to visit his creation in, in such a, a horrible condition, like he would do so with wrath and with judgment. I mean, after all, he's a holy God. He hates sin. And so God, I mean, I think he really, he has every right to condemn every man and woman and child, including you and me, in, in, in this kind of coming wrath that, to eternal condemnation. But the good news is, the, the reason that we're gathered here today is, is because he didn't come in wrath, and he didn't come in judgment. Paul writes, the grace of God appeared. So God ha has come to us in Jesus. See, now, if you're living back in the first century, Right? Like, the people of Israel, like, they, they expected this kind of mighty conqueror, someone who's going to come and, and wipe their enemies off the face of the earth. But instead, God shows up as a baby? God in the flesh as a baby? And instead of bringing judgment, Paul says he came offering what? Salvation to all people. And I, I'm able to, to stand before you today because in April of 1990, the grace of God appeared to me, and he offered me salvation. Now, back then, like, I, I, had, I, really, I didn't really know what was actually happening to me. Like, yeah, I, I gave my life to Jesus through, you know, through faith, but then I'm like, okay, I, I, I prayed that prayer. Now, now, like, what do I need to start doing in order to earn my salvation? Right, I mean, in our culture, I mean, I think we all get this, right? We believe that, that we must earn anything of value, 
right? And so if that's good about grades, that's good about respect, that's good about getting a raise at work, then, then, then I reasoned, and maybe probably many of us reason, that we, that must be true with, with God as well. But, but God doesn't, I mean, but Paul doesn't write that, that salvation is available to all people by, by working for it. He writes that God's grace, God's grace, God's grace has appeared. So maybe you're wondering, so what is, what is this thing called grace? What is that? Well, for me, back in 1990, I, I'd heard of grace. Right? It's what you say before you eat dinner, right? right? And so fortunately, I had this amazing girlfriend back then. She was incredibly, oh, she was awesome. I married her, by the way, just so that you, you're like, oh no, Kelly's in the room. Why is he saying this? But like she, so she started walking beside me. She started discipling me, right? She started helping me to understand what this grace of God truly is. So, so what is it? Like, what does it mean that, that, that God's grace has, has, has appeared to us in Jesus? Well, most times we, we, we define grace as unmerited or undeserved favor. But what does that really look like in our everyday, ordinary lives? So let me ask you. Have, have you ever driven down Route 30 and someone cut you off? Anybody? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Right. Wow. That happened to me this morning coming to church. Like, the rest of you are living a glorious life if that's never happened to you. Good for you. How many of you, maybe this, this past week, you're, you're at the mall, you're driving around trying to find parking, you, you, you see a spot, you use your turn signal for the first time this year, right? And you're ready to pull in and someone takes the spot. Anybody happen, that ever happened to anybody, Right? Yeah, and so, so in that moment, right, like, you're thinking, I'm plowing this guy out, right? So I'm going to crash into the side of his car. That's what he deserves. It is absolutely what he deserves. But grace is not giving him what he deserves or her. Have you ever been at the grocery store and you, you, you leave your cart in the middle of the aisle because you go over and you're like, oh, I got my list. I'm supposed to get olive oil. And there's like, wait, 47 olive oils? Like, that wasn't on the list. Like, and somebody's like, hey, your cart's in the middle of the aisle. Anybody get yelled at their cart in the middle of the aisle, right? Right? And like, they deserve to be like, hey, shut up, or whatever, you know. Sorry. Right? But grace is not giving them what they deserve. Or maybe, have you ever watched on TV whenever there's like this story, this breaking news, that there's, there's been this, this tragic shooting, and the family comes forward and they say, well, we forgive the person who killed our loved one. That's grace. And so when, when Titus, in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, 11, it says, the, the grace of God, who is Jesus, has appeared Right? It's, it's, it's not talking about, like, it, it's a physical appearance. It, it is, but I mean, just, like, it's, it's more than just a, a physical appearance. Because, like, like, the greatest example of grace is, is when God sent his, his son to earth to, to die for the sins of the world. And, and, and for us who are living now, we, we didn't get to see that happen. But, but, but some people, when we hear about that, some people, even today, they'll, they'll accept that gift with joy. But the, re- the reality is there, there are other people who are just going to, you know what, I'm, I'm going to dismiss it. That's not for me. And yet, when Jesus came, he extends this, this, this love of God, this gift of love from God to, to everyone. No, ma- no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter how we have lived in the past. 
Hey, that's grace. God has extended this incredible favor to, and, and blessing to, to all of us. And come on, none of us earn it and none of us deserve it. It's a gift from God. So when Jesus appeared to, first to, to Mary and Joseph and then to the shepherds and the wise men, to, to hundreds and maybe even thousands of people you know, during his ministry, even though he, he still doesn't walk this earth, like we can still see it. We can still hear these, these whispers of it in God's word. It appears every time that, that someone accepts the, the gift of, of salvation by faith in Jesus. It appears every time that God intervenes in our lives for our good. Look at verse 14 again. Paul writes, who gave himself for us to redeem us. To redeem us. So the baby in the manger is the man on the cross. They're hanging on, on a wooden cross, being nailed there by men whose every breath and heartbeat was given to them by God Almighty. Like, as they're torturing him. Jesus, he's, he's going on to the cross to pay our debt to God in full. For, for those men, for you, and for me. But here's the thing. Come on, God doesn't just take our sin, kind of sweep it under the carpet, kind of ignore it. Our God is holy, he is just, he is perfect in all of his ways. And because of, of sin that, that started really in the Garden of Eden, a perfect sacrifice had to be made for us. And the gospel is that, that Jesus, the only perfect person, who is the second Adam, he, he took our place on the altar as our substitute and settled our debt by, by dying in our place on the cross. But here's the thing. I mean, if we just, if, if all of us would just kind of like, hey, let's just be honest with ourselves, let's just be transparent with God. Sometimes we have a powerful experience of God's grace in our lives, but it doesn't leave a lasting impression. I mean, when we read these words from Titus chapter 2, do we still feel the impact of them? Are we overwhelmed with awe? Like, oh my gosh, look what God has done for me in Jesus. I know my life. I know what he's done for me. Be like, oh, wow. Thank you, God. You know, when we sing hymns like Amazing Grace, or, you know, like, do, do we just, like, do we just, are those just words that we say? Or is there just, is there something deeper going on inside of us? You know, is it, do, do we recognize that what, what the work of God and the person of Jesus has done for you and for me? Or, we have, or, we have, or have we become complacent? Or are we more like, hey, God, what have you done for me lately? You know what, so, so how does God's grace and his offer of salvation in Jesus, how, does it, how is it really shaping our lives today? Is it? Is it shaping my life? Is it shaping your life? See, this, this incredible thing called grace, this, the, the unmerited favor of God to us, is, I think it's often lost on us. That, that many of us, we, we've fallen victim to what Diedrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Look at this quote from Bonhoeffer. Cheap grace is, is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. 
Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And sadly, this just breaks my heart. We, just, we see this cheap grace just running rampant in, in our churches and in the lives of, of believers. We see it when, when salvation is just simply sold as kind of fire insurance. Oh, I, I prayed a prayer. I'm not going to hell. Okay, now I can go back to my regularly scheduled life. That's cheap grace. We, we see it when, when worship is, is just about us and about like, hey, I just I want everything to be revolving around me and, and songs and, you know, and sermons that, that I like and make me feel comfortable. That's cheap grace. We see it you know, in the comfortable Jesus that we've created for ourselves. The ones that, you know, that have allowed acceptable sins. That, that overlooks disobedience with just kind of a chuckle and a, and a shrug. Hey, at least I'm not like him or, or like her. We see it when we substitute the fear of God for the fear of the world. The fact is, as Robbie Castleman writes, salvation is a free gift of God's grace earned by the work of Jesus Christ alone. And this free gift will cost you what? What's it say? Everything. It will cost you everything. So the fact is, you know, down through the ages, from the Garden of Eden, through, throughout Israel's history, through the time of Jesus and, and the early church, and really continuing today, not, not a single man or woman born on this planet, except for Jesus, is without sin. And we see the evidence and, and, and we experience the consequences of, of this sin all around us. And so while the, the grace of God has appeared, oftentimes, too often maybe even, we, we only intellectually agree with it. We'll, we'll accept it, but with short-term change and certainly not transformation. I mean, come on, we're, we're all sinners in this room. I mean, look around. Go ahead, look around. Look up here, right? I am a sinner. I mean, like, just like this is, this is the, a biblical fact. There's not a perfect person in this room or online. And, and many of us, we, we've put our faith in Jesus, but, but we're still living our lives under cheap grace. We are in and of ourselves without hope, without any means of, of redeeming ourselves. We are in desperate, desperate need of the grace of God. But the good news of Christmas is, is found in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Like, come on, you and I, we, we've, all, we, we've been offered redemption. We've been offered forgiveness. The, the joy of this Advent season, this time when we once again, we, we prepare our hearts for, for the wonder and the joy of Jesus' arrival to earth. It's, it's all about the fact that that Jesus came in grace for you and me. And given, like all that you and I, all that we've said, all we've done, I mean, all we thought, given how we have ignored or we have cheapened the grace of God, I mean, to me, I don't know. I'm writing this story. I'm all the more reasonably expected that God would come in wrath and retribution and punishment. I mean, that's what we deserve, Right? But the grace of God, but for the grace of God, but for the grace of God in Jesus, 
He has come. Now, I, I want to point out one more thing in Titus chapter 2 before we wrap up. Because I think in this, it's something that it's easy to miss, but you know, I think Paul actually, he, he, he takes us a little, a little bit deeper, and he, and he teaches us the result of what happened when, when we don't cheapen grace or take it for granted. Let, let me read verses 11 to 14 again. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for, purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Did you catch it? God's grace teaches us something. Right? It, it teaches us how to live as disciples of Jesus it teaches us to say no to, to our sinfulness. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Or have you ever heard a teaching on this that, that for someone to say that, that grace, the grace of God, it, it actually teaches us something? So maybe this is something new for you today. That, that grace, it, it actually, it demands a response from you and from me. And, and I mean, I, as I read this, I'm like, it, it should move us to a response. And so, so Paul gives us this, this big picture perspective of what the, what the grace of God it teaches us. To, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions. And to it teaches us to say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And, and, and just practically speaking, that that's why. That's why we, we don't go bonkers when someone cuts us off on Route 30. That's why we, our, our minds don't melt whenever someone takes our parking place at the mall or yells at us at the store. It's why husbands, come on, guys. It's why we don't look at porn or, or pursue women who aren't our wives. Instead, we, we learn our, our wives' love language. We serve her and love her like Jesus loved and served the church. And wives, come on. Like it, it's why you don't pursue men who aren't your husband. It's why you don't find your value and your beauty or, or, your, or the accomplishments of your kids or what other people think of you. Instead, you, you respect your husband and you learn his love language and you find your identity and who Jesus proclaims you to be. And if you're single, come on, it's why you don't find your worth in someone else. Instead, you trust that God is enough for you that he is more than enough for you. And so here we are, one week before Christmas. And I just, I want to encourage you, come on, we, we, are, we are incapable of earning anything from God. But God's grace teaches us to, to live upright and godly lives. I mean, seriously, we have no hope of redemption on our own merit or our own good works. But God's grace it redeems us from, from all wickedness and it purifies us from all sin. And so, I mean, think about this. So, so God, I mean, he, he, he has every reason to punish us. We all know this. Instead, he loves us so much that he sent his son to offer us salvation. 
And so how are you going to respond to this? And so maybe, you know, perhaps you're, you're here today and, and you've never accepted this gift. This is grace of God in Jesus who's come to offer you salvation. But what are you waiting for? Maybe you've got some, some unanswered questions, and that's okay. You can accept God's grace while, while you're still wrestling through your questions and your doubts. Maybe you, you've experienced the brokenness of this world, and, and you're hurting, and so you've put up these barriers to kind of protect your heart, like, I'm not going to ever get hurt again. I get it. Yeah, there, there's absolutely a risk in opening up your heart. But, but if God was willing to send his one and only son to die for you, then I believe that he will love you tenderly and protect you. And so if you haven't today accepted God's grace and put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to make that decision today. And if you have made that decision in the past at some point, you've already accepted God's grace for yourself, then I want to challenge you to, to really, I mean, use this week to take a, a good, hard, honest look at your life in Jesus. Are you saying no to ungodliness and worldly passion? Have, have you cheapened God's grace simply to, to make your life more comfortable and accepting of sin? Understand, and for all of us, that today, right here, right now, God stands ready to work in you to change your life into one that testifies to the glory of God. So I want to invite you to rededicate your life to Jesus today. Listen, the, the whispers of, of Christmas, I think they can still be heard. Above all the flaws, above all the brokenness of humanity, I'm telling you, Jesus has come by grace through faith in Jesus. We are forgiven. We are made new. And we rejoice in that. That we, we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And because of that, we cannot, we, we must not become complacent or unimpressed by this. Because listen, we, we were powerless, but now we have been rescued. We were lost, but now we have been found. We were broken, but now we have been restored. We were without hope, but now we have Jesus, the hope of glory. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are just so grateful for your word and how it is able to just penetrate into our lives right in the midst of, of where we find ourselves one week from Christmas. And in the midst of the busyness and the chaos and sometimes even in the pain of the season, I pray, God, that we would just still ourselves right now. That if today you're here and you are here maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time it just it makes sense, this idea of the grace of God has appeared for you. I want to invite you to receive that grace and by faith put your trust in Jesus. And if you're ready to make that decision, then I would invite you to just pray just quietly to yourself what I pray out loud now. Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for loving me so much 
that you would bring salvation to me. That your son would die on the cross. That you would raise him three days later for me. I am overwhelmed by this gift of grace in Jesus. And God, I, in light of your grace, I, I realize just, just how far away I've been living from you. And I know I've said some things, many things, and I've done many, many things that have hurt others and have hurt you, God. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? God, right here today, I may not have it all figured out, but I'm, I believe that Jesus is your son. And by faith, I'm going to start following him and, and living for your glory. I give my life to you, God. And maybe at some point in your life, you, you prayed that prayer or something similar to it but you've drifted, walked away, intentionally or unintentionally. And you hear this, about this grace of God that is sufficient for you. And you're ready to come home, ready to come back to Jesus. You're ready to stop cheapening his grace and live for his glory. And I invite you to pray with me, just quietly in your heart. Almighty God, oh, I need you. I need your grace more than probably I've ever realized. God, I, I drifted away. I walked away. I haven't been walking with Jesus, and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? God, right here, right now, I'm, I'm making a decision. I'm taking a risk. I'm, I'm putting my trust back in Jesus. I'm rededicating my life to Jesus. I'm going to start living in a way that honors you and glorifies you when no one's around and when everyone's around. God, I'm so, so grateful that you love us so much that you would see fit to rescue us, to redeem us, God, I pray for, for every one of us. God, that just by the, the power of your Holy Spirit, that, that we would seek to live in a way that is in alignment with, with your desire for us. And that this watching, broken, hurting, dark world would somehow, some way, see you in us. Father, we love you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.